song. I love that song, and it never ceases to make me smile. So, so well written on that account. Uh, I am not going to sugarcoat it. This morning's sermon is going to be sad, and uh, I will try not to drag it on, but it's difficult uh, what we're going to be talking about this morning, and so I'll just prepare you for that. Uh, I've been thinking a lot about the Holocaust, actually. Um, I've been thinking about what it would be like to have been a Jew in Germany during that time, and the, I mean, the fear, the frustration to be, at first, uh, to have all these people against you and then to be separated from your family and separated from people and have your, your shop smashed in and then all that before uh, persecution gets even worse and they're uh, eventually brought into internment camps and in concentration camps and they die or worse are kept on the edge of death. And I think about, I mean, how scary, how vexing, like so many awful emotions had to go into that. And I just know, I mean, they're praying to the same God we are, wondering what is going on. And what, how, how much longer is this going to have to go on before, God, you do something about this? Um, I, I had a friend in college who felt very similarly about her mother. Uh, she, uh, her mother was very sick. And she was really frustrated by all of the vague truisms people were giving her about prayer. You just gotta, just gotta wait, and it's just gonna come. Like, she was just sad and discouraged, and she couldn't understand why her mother was sick and why prayer wasn't helping. And she was exhausted and discouraged. And I know, I know you guys have felt that. Sometimes we might think about someone who. Uh, they, a child who has to come home regularly and hear their parents fighting. And they think, how many more times do I have to hear my parents fight before something happens, before God helps? You think about the fighting going on in Afghanistan and the, um, the persecution that the Christians are going through there. And you think, how many more people have to die before God does something about it? Or you think about the people who have been trying over and over and over again to have a child and they just can't. And they think, God, how long is this going to have to go on before you do something, before you help, before you step in? Because I'm, I'm scared and I'm, I'm weary. I don't know if I can do this any longer. This morning, uh, our, we're completing our sermon series on Letting My Soul Sing. And we're going to be studying songs crying out how long. And these songs... Uh, kind of mix the uh, anxiety and fear and lamentation of a song like uh, Psalm 22 with the confusion of maybe a psalm like Psalm 44, that these people are crying out to God and they're exhausted. They've been through so much and they don't know how much longer they can press on. Uh, this is the kind of weariness that you know, sometimes we sing this song in his time, and it's a comforting song. But sometimes we sing it, and it's just frustrating. Because we don't want things to happen in his time. We want them to happen now. We don't know how much longer we're going to have to do this. And so this morning, I want to present to you just two simple truths. Uh, two truths that you're going to need when you're weary, when you're crying how long. And uh, these aren't going to solve your problem. 
but I think it's important for us to be grounded in the text when we're going through these intense emotions. And so we're going to be talking about two truths from the Psalms that you need to hear when you are weary from crying out how long. The first one is found in Psalm 13. In Psalm 13, it's a simple psalm. It's six verses long. It says, how long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemy say I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. The psalm in the first two verses here, we see a cry. How long? God, I am in trouble. Are you going to just stay aloof forever? Are you, gonna, are, you, are you even listening to my prayers? And then he brings uh, his complaint in verses three and four. Because look, I need your help. Because people are rising up against me. I'm going to die. And my foes are going to prevail against me. I need your help. But the last two verses are where we get our point. He says, I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. Here we find in this psalm, People crying out to God and feeling that their prayers aren't answered. And I want you to understand that if you feel that way this morning, if you feel like you've been crying out how long and God is not listening to you, you are not alone. That many people throughout history have felt that way. But what you really also need to understand is how this psalm ends. He says even despite all of that, despite all that he's going through, despite the weariness that he feels, I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. That no matter what happens in life, God can still be trusted. God is still God. He doesn't have to prove himself. He is eternal. He has proven himself throughout history. And when we are going through trials, we're going to ask God, God, rescue me out of this. I need your help. I I don't know who else to turn to, and I'm tired, and I don't know how much more of this I can take. But we need to understand that no matter what happens, whether God listens and, and rescues you, or whether you have to go your entire life without understanding why you're going through this trial, that no matter what happens, God is still God. I think about this back to you know, the Holocaust. I mean, I know that this frustration is how that those Jews felt. That what is going on? I, I don't understand. I, I need your help. Think about also people like Martin Luther King, who probably were crying out, how many more of my brothers and sisters do I have to see get killed before God steps in and does something about this? Or you think about we have people with uh, sick family members, and we're crying out, God, I, I need your help. How much longer do, do they have to suffer? How much longer does, does it need to go before we can find a way to cure them, how to help them? I'm just so tired. 
And I think also uh, about the way that I, I know, I'm so happy to see uh, the Terry's here this morning, or Justin, but I know that he must feel that way as well. How much longer is this going to have to go on before they can, their child can have a semblance of a, a normal life? Like how long? And yet, despite all of this, we understand that no matter how long it is, God is still God. And that's, that's the, the vexing thing about God being God. I mean, you think about God rescuing people from the depths of misery. And part of that is that sometimes your sorrows and trials have to get more difficult because God is glorified even more in those things. And sometimes the people who are oppressing you, I think about you know, the Jews, I think about Martin Luther King, the people who are oppressing you, God is being patient with them, just as God is patient with us. And that's frustrating when we're going through it. But God is still God. God's plans haven't changed. And so as we are sitting here in this situation, we cry out to God, how long do I have to keep going? Because I don't know how much more of this I can take. And yet, we understand that whether it's a day, whether it's a month, whether we go our whole lives, and like Job or the many people before Martin Luther King who didn't get to see the racial reconstruction have any effect, that we might die and never understand how long. We might die and never understand why we had to go through the trials. And yet in the end, God is still God. And he is still in control and we can trust him. And that's difficult, but it is something that we must remember when we are in these trials. We take you to another psalm, Psalm 89. This proves the same point, but it comes at it from a little bit different uh, perspective. Psalm 89, and this time, rather than the psalm starting with crying out to God and ending with, God, I trust you, it's the other way around. The psalmist here speaks of all the reasons why he has faith in God and then questions God, what's going on? Why why is this happening? What happened to all of your promises? We can't read this whole psalm, but I'll just give you a, a little taste of the verses here. Read in verse 3 and 4 of Psalm 89. It says, You have said, I have made a covenant with my chosen one. I have sworn to David my servant. I will establish your offspring forever and build your throne for all generations. God promised to build David a forever throne. Then verses 8 through 11 show that God is good for these promises. Verses, verse, starting in verse 8. O Lord, God of hosts, who is mighty as you are, O Lord, with your faithfulness all around you, you rule the raging of the sea. When its waves rise, you still them. You crushed Rahab like a carcass. You scattered your enemies with a mighty arm. The heavens are yours. The earth also is yours. The world and all that is in it, you have founded them. This is the God we serve. He's made us promises and he can do them. Verses 24 through 29 give us uh, some national promises from God. God here speaking in the first person, starting at verse 24. My faithfulness and my steadfast love shall be with him, and in my name shall his horn be exalted. I will set his hand on the sea and his right hand on the river. He shall cry to me, you are my father, my God and the rock of my salvation. And I will make him the firstborn, the highest of the kings of the earth. My steadfast love I will give him forever and my covenant 
will stand firm for him. I will establish his offspring forever and his throne as the days of heaven. This continues in verse 35 and 37, where God says, Once for all, I have sworn by my holiness, I will not lie to David. His offspring shall endure forever. His throne as long as the sun before him, like the moon, it shall be established forever. A faithful witness in the sky. We get all of these verses that say, God, you made us amazing promises. You're going to take our nation and David's throne will be established forever. And and we will be a victorious, powerful nation. And you will be with us. You are God who's unstoppable. And yet, after all of that, we get to verse 38. It says, but now you have cast off and rejected. You're full of wrath against your anointed. You've renounced the covenant with your servant. You have defiled his crown in the dust. You have breached all his walls. You have laid his strongholds in ruins. All who pass by plunder him. He has become the scorn of his neighbors. You've exalted the right hand of his foes. You've made all his enemies rejoice. You've turned back the edge of his sword and you have not made him stand in battle. You have made his splendor to cease and cast his throne to the ground. You've cut short the days of his youth. You have covered him with shame. How long, O Lord? Will you hide yourself forever? How long will your wrath burn like fire? Remember how short my time is. For what vanity you have created for all the children of man. What man can live and never see death? Who can deliver his soul from the power of Sheol? Lord, where is your steadfast love of old? Which by your faithfulness you swore to David. Verse 49 is is so raw. Where is your steadfast love? Where are these promises? That you promised us, God. And I think about the people who must feel this way. People who say, God, you said train up a child in the way he should go. And when he's old, he will not depart from it. What happened to my children? And when are they coming back? I think about the people who said, God, you said be fruitful and multiply. Why am I barren? What is going on here? It's heartbreaking. As we, people, as we cry out to God and we say, an effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth most. Why is my family sick? Why is this going on? How long? And we, we cry out to God in, in, in fear, in frustration, in anxiety, in weariness. And yet in the midst of this, we understand that no matter what happens, God is still God. And we might not understand it, but God is still God. And that's how this psalm ends. Starting in verse 49 again. Lord, where is your steadfast love of old, which by your remembrance you swore to David? Remember, O Lord, how your servants are mocked, how I bear it in the heart of the insults of many nations, with which your enemies mock, O Lord, which which they mock the footsteps of your anointed. Blessed be the Lord forever. Amen and amen. This psalm, there is no resolution. It just ends the same way that we started this last section. God, we're in trouble, and it's a mess, and I don't understand anything that's going on. And yet, in spite of that, he says, blessed be the Lord forever. Amen and amen. Job says a very similar thing at the end of chapter 1 of Job. That, God, I don't understand what's going on. I am in the worst situation I have ever been in my life, and yet, despite all of that, I know you are still God. And I know you are still blessed forever. Amen and amen. No matter what happens, and it's going to be hard, and there are going to be challenges and trials and questions, and you're going to cry out how long, but in the midst of all of them, God is still God, and we must remember that. 
So then, what's the second thing that we need to know? The two truths that you need to know when you're weary. For that, we'll turn to Psalm 35. In Psalm 35, uh, we'll read verses 11 through 18. Psalm 35, he's setting the stage here in verses 11 through 18. He says, malicious witnesses rise up. They ask me of things that I do not know. They repay me evil for good. My soul is bereft. But I, when they were sick, I wore sackcloth. I afflicted myself with fasting. I prayed with head bowed on my chest. I went about as though I grieved for my friend or my brother. As one who laments his mother, I bowed down in the morning. But at my stumbling, they rejoiced and gathered. They gathered together amidst me. Wretches whom I did not know tore at me without ceasing. Like profane mockers at a feast, they gnash at me with their teeth. How long, O Lord, will you look on? Rescue me from their destruction, my precious life from the lion's. I will thank you in the great congregation, in the mighty throng. I will praise you. Here at the end, we get a little bit of the God is still God. But this situation that, look, false witnesses are rising up against me. And when they were sick, when they, when they were calamity going on to them, I, I was sad. I, I treated them like a friend. And yet, when the roles are reversed, when it, I'm in trial, they're laughing at me. And when you read that this is a psalm of David, it makes sense. You think about David's relationship with Saul and how great of an extent David went to care for Saul, to make sure Saul was protected. Like, David loved Saul. And when things were going bad for Saul, it made David sad, even though David benefited directly from the demise of Saul. Flip side, not at all the same. Okay, Saul hated David and was obsessed with killing him, with capturing him. And he has these crazy uh, waves. But for the most part, Saul did not like David. And this feeling of injustice, where he says, look, I I love these people. I cared for them. They're important to me. And they they just turned on me. And it riles up your blood because it's just very unjust. But this... It's not the point I want to focus on. It's these next few verses, 19 through 24. He says, Let not those who rejoice over me, who are wrongfully my foes, let not those wink the eye who hate me without cause. For they do not speak peace, but against those who are quiet in the land, they devise words of deceit. They open their mouths against me. They say, aha, aha, our eyes have seen it. You have seen, O Lord, be not silent. O Lord, be not far from me. Awake, rouse yourself for my vindication, for my cause, my God, and my Lord. Vindicate me, O Lord, my God, according to your righteousness, and let them not rejoice over me. He says, look, malicious witnesses have rised up against me. They are saying that they've seen things that they haven't seen, that I'm being slandered in court. I'm being slandered. And God, you know, you see, you understand. Why are you not coming to vindicate me? And these these verses, especially verses 21 and 22, they open their mouths against me. They say, aha, aha, our eyes have seen it. You have seen, O Lord, be not silent. O Lord, be not far from me. Verse 21 
they are speaking against him in one of two ways. Either they're saying uh, before a judge, we saw him do something which he didn't actually do, that he is being slandered in court. The other possibility is that these people are you know, standing over him, they've you know, beaten him, and they say, we see, but no one else sees. No one else will understand. No one else will believe you. And yet we see here in verse 22, you have seen, O Lord, be not silent. And that's the second thing we need to understand. When we are crying out how long, when things are going over and over again, people oppressed against us and nothing seems to be stopping it, we need to understand God is still watching. God sees. God will judge. And this, again, is a heart-wrenching kind of thing that people would speak falsely. People would slander other people. And there is such fear, such pain in the idea that innocent people are hurt constantly in this process. Um, Innocent people whose names are are, are raked through the mud and no one ever really knows what happened. That's the difficult, like we can get judges in here, we can get juries to, to decide, and, and juries are, are pretty good. I mean, I'm not saying that they're bad, but like no one is saying that they're infallible. No one will ever truly know what happened in the case of, you know, many of these like Me Too movement cases or uh, several of the, the cases last year that were racially um, charged. It's hard, and there are many stories going back and forth, and it, no one wins. Either we let someone who did something that any sane person would do uh, and we say that they're a, a terrible person, or we let a murderer go free. Either we say that someone who is an upright p- part of the community, we say that they are a terrible person who did something awful, or you know, we let a murderer go free, or we let uh, someone who did one of the most awful things you can do go free. And it's it's vexing, and we it's hard because we want to know the truth, we want to have an answer, and yet. In many cases, we don't know. And in many cases, these people will live their lives without true vindication. And when innocent people suffer as a result of other people and no one ever truly knows what happened to them, it's hard. I want you to think about this in the context of maybe your workplace. Have any of you or uh, maybe someone that you know been like harassed at work no one would stand up for you, or no one would really acknowledge that it happened. Or maybe uh, there's religious persecution happening to you in school or at work, or maybe even nationally, and your government, your boss, your school turns a blind eye to it. Or just think about the trials that these kinds of people go through. It's, it's heart-wrenching to see, for example, so many people who were oppressed throughout you know, the past 50 years and how our government has turned a blind eye to it. And we're getting better. We're growing. But it's, it's sad. It's hard because there's so many things that happen that are unjust. And no one sees. No one truly gets the answer right. And in these times, we can be afraid. We can be frustrated. We can feel a lot of things. And we can be sad because of the injustice that is going on. And we can cry out to God and we can say, how much longer does this have to go on? How much more do I have to suffer for a thing I didn't do? How many more times do I have to see this happen that causes me fear? And and 
There's no reason for it. What's going on? And yet, in these times, we have to remember that God is still watching. God does see, and God will judge whether any human court does or not. And for that, I want to take us to one final passage. This one, not in the Psalms, but in the book of Malachi. Malachi chapter 3. In Malachi 3, we have a statement of people who feel that the good people are punished and the evil people go free and that there is no real justice. This is in Malachi chapter 3, starting in verse 14. It says, You have said it is vain to serve God. What is the profit in keeping of, in, what is the profit of our keeping his charge or of walking? as in mourning before the Lord of hosts. And now we call the arrogant blessed. Evildoers not only prosper, but they put God to the test and they escape. This is the situation as we look out in the world, that evildoers prosper, they put God to the test, and no one calls them to task for it. That the good people suffer, and there's no reason for it. That justice is not served here on earth, and it's vexing, and we cry out to God, how long until you come down and do something about this? And yet we are told that there is an answer. Pick up in verse 16. Then those who feared the Lord spoke with one another. The Lord paid attention and he heard them. And a book of remembrance was written before him of those who feared the Lord and esteemed his name. They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts, in the day when I make up my treasured possession. And I will spare them as a man spares his son who serves him. Then once more you shall see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between one who serves God and the one who does not serve him. Chapter 4, verse 1. For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, when all the arrogant and all the evildoers will, stubble, will be stubble. The day that is coming shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. But for you who fear my name, the sun of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. You shall go out leaping like calves from the stall and you shall tread down the wicked for they shall be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I act, says the Lord of hosts. Listen, we live in a world where perfect justice is not going to be served. And that is a travesty. But God is watching. God knows. God sees. And so, as we conclude, I told you at the beginning, I, I'm not going to solve any of your problems. That as we keep pressing on, as we keep crying out how long, we might never get answers. And yet we understand that no matter what happens, no matter how long we have to press on through the trial, God is still God. God is still watching. And one day, God will set things right. One day, perfect justice will be served. One day, we will have the comfort that we seek in heaven. And until that day, we don't have any assurances. But we can still trust God because God is God. God is who he says he is. God will succeed in his plans. And so let me ask you where you are in God's plans. There is a coming judgment. 
And if you have not been a faithful servant of God, that should scare you. And yet, if you haven't, if you haven't been baptized, if you haven't begun your walk with Christ, we'd love to talk with you. We'd love to help you, to teach you the truth, to help you to come before God because life is scary without him. Not just because of the impending judgment, but because of all that we've talked about, that we live in such an imperfect world and it should make us all long for a God who's going to do something about it one day. Long for a God who actually watches, a God who actually cares about justice. You will not get that anywhere but in our God. And if you are a Christian and you haven't been living the way that you ought to, if you would like our prayers, or if you're just discouraged, if you're weary, we want to help you. We want to pray with you. We want to be a family here with you to help you serve the Lord the way that God wants. If we can help you in any way, Please come as we stand and as we sing. I am